Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. The palm fronds that the children wave were representative of the story that we're going to be talking about today. And in the, in the Christian calendar, Palm Sunday starts the most important week of our faith. Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem. We know that ultimately he is headed there to die. Thursday evening, we call Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday is the time when Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room, the night that he was betrayed, and he instituted the Last Supper. Uh, He was arrested on Thursday night, Friday morning, early in the morning, and then went on trial and was ultimately put on the cross on Friday where he died and he was buried before the sun went down on Friday evening. He lay in the grave on Saturday, and then Sunday he rose from the dead, which we call Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And um, that is what we celebrate this week. Today, as we look at Palm Sunday, we're going to see Jesus is King. Jesus is King. Uh, So let's let's read Matthew 21, 1 through 11 one more time. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you. Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road, Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. In Galilee. Caleb, if you can keep it on that slide just for a minute. Uh, life is full of important questions. On, on uh, yesterday, the most important question I had was, can I do this? Uh, I'm in a daddy-daughter dance with my three daughters, and they give us four Saturday nights to rehearse this dance with our kids. And it is hilarious. This is the sixth year that I've done this, and None of the dads are dancers, but we go because we love our daughters. And there's always times where you have to kind of move around and get down on one knee. And whenever all the guys have to get down on one knee as part of the dance, there's this like collective grunt as the men are sort of lowering themselves. Um, You you know, and and as I've done this over the past six years, the, the first time I did it, I just did it with my older daughter. And I looked around and there was actually one dad who had four daughters. 
and he has to learn a different part of the dance for each daughter. So I thought, man, that is tough. And uh, then a couple years later, my middle daughter joined in, and I had two daughters, had to learn two different parts to the dance. But last night was the first time that we rehearsed, and I now have three daughters who I'm dancing with, and I thought, can I do this? And I videotaped the, the dance because I had to learn the parts with my younger two, and my older daughter was in another room without me, just learning the dance that I was supposed to be learning. So I jumped in with her, I had no idea what I was doing because I had to be in the room with the little two. So I thought, can I do this? I videotaped myself trying to learn this dance and I just am like running around while everyone else knows the dance. It is difficult to learn how to do this. Maybe um, your question is, can I do this about something else? Or maybe you have a deeper question. Maybe you're asking a deeper question out of life, like, am I gonna make it? Um, what do I do with my pain? Maybe your question is, will I meet somebody? Uh, maybe you're asking questions about your past. Maybe you're asking questions about your future. While some of our day-to-day -day questions are silly like mine, can I do this? A lot of life's questions are much deeper and much harder to answer. But today I wanna tell you there's a question that's more important than any of those questions. And not that those questions aren't important, but the question, who is this, is life's most significant question. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the crowds celebrate him and at the same time ask the question, who is this? Do you have an answer to that question? Maybe God is inviting you this week for the first time to ask, who is this Jesus? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time, but maybe your heart's grown a little cold. And God's inviting you again this week to ask that question. Who is Jesus? Jerusalem was the holy city of God. And Jerusalem was where all the, Israel, all the nation of Israel gathered for the week of Passover. Passover was the week where they celebrate the escape, the salvation, the redemption from Egypt when they were slaves. And Jesus came to Jerusalem for Passover week. Now on the map there, he would have come from the top right, which would have been the Mount of Olives, and he would have traveled down the Mount of Olives. And once you got onto the eastern side of the city, you would have been in something called the Kidron Valley, and you would have been looking up at Jerusalem, the holy city, the city on a hill. And what would have jetted out, out of the city would have been the temple, the Temple Mount. You can see it there on the back right. It is the highest structure there on the eastern side of the city. But what would happen as people would travel to Jerusalem for Passover week is, is people would come from far and wide, but as they got to the city gates, there would begin to be a bottleneck, right? there would begin to be a bottleneck of people trying to get into the gates. And Jesus emerges in the middle of that bottleneck. And the crowds begin to celebrate Jesus. It's not just that Jesus is part of the celebration. It is that Jesus is being celebrated because Jesus is signaling himself as a king. Now, he never says it, but he shows us. First of all, by commanding that his disciples go into Bethpage and find a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
When they were on the Mount of Olives, that's where we think the city of Bethpage was, he sent his disciples ahead and said, go find a colt and tell the owner that the master, that the Lord needs it. And he's doing that because he wants to signal himself as the fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy about an anointed king. Verse 4 says, This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. The prophet came 500 years earlier, Zechariah. In chapter 9, verse 9 of Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your who? Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By riding that donkey into Jerusalem, Jesus is signaling that he is that king that was prophesied about. One commentary calls this premeditated self-promotion by Jesus. Intentional promotion of who he is. That he is the prophesied king who would come to rule God's people and defeat their enemies. And as he approaches, the people get what he is signaling. In verse 8, it tells us that a large crowd spread their clothes on the road so that Jesus' donkey could walk over it. Nothing says, I submit, as if taking off your cloak and putting it on the ground so that someone could walk over it and keep their feet dry. So the crowd is promoting him as king as well. And then they go off and they cut branches from trees and spread them on the road as well, the palm fronds, which was a symbol of royalty. So the crowd gets what Jesus is signaling, and Jesus doesn't stop them from participating in the celebration of him. Because Jesus is signaling that he is the king. He's signaling that he is the king. You might ask the question, who is this Jesus? Most people respect who Jesus was. Many of them just think of him as a moral teacher, a philosopher like Gandhi, uh, maybe a religious mythological figure like we see in the Hindu religion, but that's not what Jesus signals about himself. Jesus signals clearly that he is the king. Now, to ignore those signals are to ignore who Jesus really is and who he was communicating that he was. If you can imagine for a second that there's a Category 5 hurricane barreling down on South Florida, all of us would go, what is this and what is it going to do? As Jesus comes towards the walls of Jerusalem. He's not a Category 5 hurricane. He is a king. And the people are asking, who is this and what is he going to do? Jesus doesn't look anything like a powerful hurricane. Most kings would want people to be afraid of them. But Jesus doesn't signal himself as that kind of powerful king. And that is very purposeful. Jesus signals himself as a gentle and lowly and meek king. Now, just to compare this by way of humor, uh, there's a soccer player named Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And he is from Sweden, and he's played, a different, he's played in different uh, teams around Europe. Several years ago, he transferred to the LA Galaxy. 
And to say that this guy is confident is an understatement. He's one of those guys that like talks about himself in the third person, like Zlatan wants coffee. Can you go get Zlatan coffee? I mean, imagine Pastor John wants coffee. Can you go get me Pastor I mean, it's just ridiculous. To say that the guy is confident is an understatement. He's arrogant. But when he came to Los Angeles, rather than saying, thank you, I'm so glad that I'm in Los Angeles, he took out a full-page ad in the LA Times that simply said, if you go back one, that simply said this, Los Angeles, welcome to Zlatan. Yeah, it's crazy. Now we, now we laugh at that. That is an extreme example of like, at the very least, overconfidence, if not complete arrogance. Um, but you and I are pretty good at something a little bit more subtle, uh, the humble brag. The humble brag is like so in our society. I mean, we all do it. I do it. You do it. We know you do it. The humble brag is like, I'm so humbled that I won these awards. And look at all these awards that I've won. And I'm just so honored and humbled that I won all these awards. Or, or I'm so humbled that I was able to give a large portion of my money to this charity. I'm just so humbled that I was able to do that. You know what I mean? It's like, you're like, wait a minute, are you bragging or are you being humble? That's the humble brag. In fact, it's such part of our culture that a guy named Harris Whittles wrote a book called Humble Brag, The Art of False Modesty. Um, this is all over our social media, mine included. We, we do the humble brag. Humble brag is about um, you position yourself as humble, but it's really to promote yourself. That's the humble brag. But here's Jesus. We don't even really have a category for what he's doing. He enters in as the king, but in verse 5 it tells us that he is gentle, lowly, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. While the humble brag is about positioning yourself as humble in order to really promote yourself, Jesus is promoting himself in order to show his humility. In other words, as he rides in as the king, he sits on a donkey, not an inch higher than he has to. He doesn't come on a royal kingly stallion. He comes in pointing to his lowliness. He draws attention to himself to show his humility, but it's not just that he has a humble spirit. Jesus is drawing attention to his upcoming humiliation. It's not just that he has an internal humble spirit. Jesus is trying to get people to see what's coming, that he will be publicly humiliated. We don't have a category for that in our culture. We, we hide our humiliations where Jesus is trying to draw attention to what's about to happen to him. He will be humiliated by being arrested. There will be a, a farce of a trial. He will be beaten. He will be mocked. He will be hung up on a cross as a criminal to be speared and crucified and then put to the grave in shame when he dies. Jesus is getting people's attention so that they can see his humiliation. Jesus signals himself as king, but he's trying to get people to see that he's a different kind of king. He's a king that ultimately wants to 
be crucified. He sits, he sits high above the crowds on a colt, but he will be raised up even higher on a cross for all to see. Palm Sunday, he's celebrated at the gates of Jerusalem, but on Good Friday, he will be lowered into the grave in shame. Who is this? You get the significance of the question? There's been no one like him. There will never be another one like him. In verse 9, we're told that the crowds see the signal of his kingship. They go ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That word Hosanna means save us, we pray. That's the significance of that term. When they call him son of David, though, we get what kind of salvation they're asking for. That term, son of David, would have been a politically loaded term for a first century Jew. David, the great king, the son of David, the one who will save us from our enemies, the one who will give us salvation from our oppressor, Rome. As Jesus goes into the holy city of God, it is not ruled by God's people. It is ruled by an oppressor, the Roman Empire. And so as Jesus comes in, people say, save us, king, we pray. But what they're asking for is salvation that's political. Jesus accepts their cries for salvation, but they don't understand what he's come to save them from. Jesus is the savior king, but he has not come to save them from Rome, which is why he doesn't ride in on a war horse, which is why he rides in on a donkey instead. Now, maybe they thought as he came in that he was going to perform some sort of miraculous salvation, even though he was on a donkey. I mean, that's what Passover week was all about, right? the miraculous salvation from Egypt that included plagues and, and the splitting of the Red Sea and God's presence going with them. So maybe the people expect, expected some sort of military uprising from Israel, but it would be some sort of miraculous thing where Jesus would lead the people of God to overthrow the Roman oppressors. But that's not what Jesus does. He does not go to a Roman outpost. After he enters the city, he goes to the temple the Jewish temple, the place where God dwelled on earth. And he clears it out. He stops all the commerce that's happening in the temple. He stops the temple business. He cleans out the money changers and all the crooked people that are selling and buying. He cleans out the court of the Gentiles. Jesus does that because he's the only one who has the right to shut down the temple. The temple of God, the presence of God on earth, who else can judge the temple but God himself? Jesus is not only king, he's not only savior, but he is God himself on earth. As Jesus goes into the city, he's celebrated as savior king, but ultimately these people are going to reject his salvation. Think about that for a moment. Hundreds of people celebrating him as king and yet at the same time rejecting his salvation. One of the hard things about life's deep questions is first of all that there's just so many of them. You have questions about your future. You have questions about your past. You have questions about your present. You wonder about the tough relationships. You wonder about your kids. 
You wonder about your job. You wonder about your personality. There's so many questions in life. And one of the things I've found is that each season of life contains new questions. Like if you answer the questions of the present, you're just going to run into more questions in the future. And sometimes the questions of the past never get answered. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But every season has tough questions that you and I have to walk through and look for answers for. What we learn from this is that there's a deeper question than all of those questions. The questions of your pain, the questions of your kids, the questions of your marriage, those are all deep questions, but there is a deeper question that doesn't solve or give you the answers to all the other questions, but it does change how you answer them. That question is, who is this? Who is Jesus? One of the things that can happen is sometimes we get so caught up in life's questions that we act as if once those questions are answered, we will be saved. If I can only find that spouse I've been looking for, if I can only get promoted, will I get promoted? If I can only get promoted, then life will be worth living. If I can only fix this relationship, if I can only just get rid of all this pain. And those are good questions and good things to focus on. But let me encourage you, they are secondary to the question, who is this? Because once you answer that question, who is this, it changes the way you answer all those other questions. And I can't answer those questions for you. All I can tell you is that when you answer the question, who is this, with Jesus the King, it changes everything. It changes everything. You're not looking for salvation and the answers to life's secondary questions. Rather, you're resting in who Jesus is as king. We have questions about bills and questions about enemies and questions about oppression. But Jesus came to pay your debt to sin. Jesus came to crush your ultimate enemy, Satan. Jesus came to free you from the oppression of death. And as we answer life's questions, we have to be careful that we don't repurpose Jesus' salvation, that we don't appropriate his salvation for something that he never meant it for. Questions are good, but the ultimate question is, who is Jesus? And here's the good news. If you know the answer to that question, you have the answer to life's greatest question. And if you don't know the answer to that question, you're being, invited, you're being invited to seek the answer to that question this week. We hope that you come back on Friday night because we're going to be answering that question over the next week. Who is Jesus? Because that's ultimately not just a question that we ask. It's a question that's being asked of us. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? How do you answer that question? That is life's most significant question that's being asked of you. And catch this. In verse 10, Jesus comes in and the city is in an uproar. If you can change the slide to the next one. Jesus, the city is in an uproar asking the question, who is this? That uproar has the the term like quake in it. It's almost like there's an earthquake going through the holy city of Jerusalem because people are like, who is this? But, but here's the interesting thing. 
Look how they answer it in the next slide. They say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. They answer it partially correct, but they don't fully get who he is. They don't fully get that he is the king that's come to be humiliated in order to save. He is the king who's come so that by believing in him, they could be reconciled to God. He is the king who's come to die on a cross so those who place faith in him could be reconciled to God and called his beloved. He is oh so much more than a prophet. He is a savior king who has come to be humiliated in your place. And while the crowds celebrate him on Sunday, they will turn on him by Friday. But here's the amazing thing about this king. Though the crowds will turn away, he does not turn them away. Just because they don't understand who he is, he doesn't push them away. He is who he is. He is the king. He is the savior. He is the one who's come to be humiliated. But just because they turn away doesn't mean he will turn them away. And maybe this week, maybe this week you begin to realize I don't really know in depth who Jesus is. You're being invited by Jesus this week to ask the question afresh, who is this? And if you ask that question afresh, Jesus will not turn you away. He is the king who loves you. He is the one who's come to save you. He is the one who's come to be humiliated in your place on the cross. Who is this? This is Jesus the King who loves you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.